This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language, mature themes, and graphic violence, including homicide. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 313. Hello there, Metamorphs. Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. This is the show where I share my fiction with you and keep you up to date on my writing endeavors. So let's get started. Here is this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 54 in my Metamore City novel, Making the Cut. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 259 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. In last week's episode, Miriam led Brian, Fiona, and Daniel to a factory on street level, where she claimed to be setting a trap for Victor Henkavos. Ostensibly, the three younger sides were there to help Miriam ambush Victor, to kill the rogue telekinetic before he can hurt anyone else. But Miriam's story fell apart when she claimed that she was using Abby Preston as bait for the trap. Daniel knows that's a lie, because Abby came to him in secret at Eastside General Hospital, where she is being given asylum under an assumed name. Knowing this, he very sensibly asked Miriam why she would tell them that Abby was here, but before he had even finished asking the question, Fiona leapt into action. She snapped one of Daniel's tonfa sticks roughly in half, making a pair of improvised stakes. Then she tossed one to Daniel and lunged at Miriam with the other. But Miriam is one of the most powerful egoists in the world, and for the last six months or so, she has also been a vampire. She flickered out of the way of Fiona's attack and appeared on top of one of the heavy wooden crates that fill most of the warehouse. There, she delivered an ultimatum. The vampire prince has ordered her to capture Brian and Fiona in retaliation for their roles in a destructive raid against his holdings. If they surrender to her, it will stop the cycle of violence. It will be degrading, but she promises to treat them more kindly than she was treated. Miriam's revelation confirmed something that Fiona had figured out before they had even left the subway station. While Miriam's body looks alive, its pheromones are all wrong. This was one of the small loopholes in Malcolm's orders that Miriam had been counting on to give Fiona and Brian a chance at escaping capture. Fiona had walked into the trap anyway because she thought that Miriam was holding Abby, and that she and Brian were her only hope of rescue. Fiona had tried to keep Daniel off the mission because she knew that they were very likely walking to their deaths. But, like it or not, Daniel's fighting skills might now be the key to their survival. As other vampires closed in around them, Miriam pressed the young teeps to make their choice. 
Will they surrender to her or not? We'd rather die, Fiona said. Nodding sadly, Miriam ordered her minions to close in. Making the Cut A Novel of Metamore City Written and read by Chris Lester Chapter 54 Daniel had heard former PSYOPs talk about the peculiar feeling that they sometimes got during their missions— when the odds were hopeless and they knew they were going to die. It was a sort of preternatural calm, a heightened sense of clarity and awareness that came with the knowledge that the situation truly couldn't get any worse. When Revenos was already sharpening his scythe behind you, you could put any thoughts of your own survival out of your head and focus on what really mattered, completing the mission. It was the rarest of sensations— and one that most people experienced no more than once in their lives, usually briefly. From what Daniel had been told by those lucky few who survived the experience, it was both exhilarating and strangely peaceful. What Daniel felt now was utterly unlike what the veterans had promised him, a raw animal terror that clawed at his insides and screamed for him to run. Only his years of training and self-discipline kept him from obeying that panicked voice inside him. Then again, this wasn't one of those cases where you had nothing to lose. They were fighting vampires, and that meant that there were possibilities much worse than death. One of those possibilities perched atop the nearby crates, locked in single combat with Fiona. She and Miriam Bakhtivar moved more quickly than the eye could see, a swirling dance of claw and stake that spiraled up and down the heights of the massive warehouse. The elder's cloak billowed and floated as she moved, making her seem more like a wraith than a creature of flesh and bone. Fiona fought like a thing possessed, her wild red hair pulling free of its restraints and whirling about her like a lion's mane. Daniel only caught glimpses of the egoist's duel several more immediate concerns looming close at hand. He and Brian stood side by side at the doorway, making a bottleneck that cut down on the number of vamps that could attack them at once. They were all far slower than Miriam, and probably a lot weaker as well. Most of them clearly came from weaker bloodstock than Miriam herself, probably four or five generations removed from the prince who commanded them. Still, even the weakest was as strong as a strong man, and they outnumbered Daniel and Brian seven to one. "'We can't stay here!' Daniel panted, after Brian threw back the latest wave of attackers with a blast of lightning from a nearby power conduit. Brian glanced up at the two egoists, then back at the vamps, who were already picking themselves up. "'We can't leave her either!' "'Who, Fiona or Miriam?' Brian's face twisted, grief flickering into anger, then gone. Either one. Daniel nodded, then wiped the sweat out of his eyes and readjusted his stance. You got a plan? More of an idea. 
Brian's eyes slid over to him. Can't do it without you. The vamps started closing in again, most of them angling toward Daniel and away from Brian. I'll take it, Daniel said. Right then, just hold on tight. They were almost on him now. As Daniel set himself to dodge one vamp and take the second one down at the knees, he just had time to wonder. Hold on tight to what? The answer came in the form of the large iron loading hook from the gantry crane, and the ponderous heavy crate hanging from it. It swung down bare centimeters from Daniel's head, and plowed into the onrushing vamps like a bowling ball through ten pins. The crate tore free from the hook on impact and tumbled across the floor, scattering heavy machine parts that landed like sledgehammers on the unfortunate vamps. The now-empty hook swung around in a turn that was too sharp to be natural, then slowed as it approached Brian's outstretched hand. He grabbed hold of the hook as it came past, and Daniel wrapped his hands around the braided steel cable. The metal trembled under his hands as Brian propelled them up into the rafters, setting them down atop the narrow tracks of the gantry. The beam was only two decimeters wide, but Daniel found his footing swiftly. Brian, less sure on his feet, straddled the track and held on with both legs and one hand. "'You gonna be all right up here?' Daniel asked, still breathing hard from the exertion. Brian nodded once, scanning the floor below them with a tactician's critical eye. From here I can even the odds. Just keep them off of me. For once, the vampire's desire to take them alive worked to their advantage. Daniel and Brian would have been sitting ducks up here for anyone with a gun, but the vamps were armed only with nets, chains, and shock sticks, as well as their own teeth and claws. If they wanted Daniel and Brian, they'd have to come up here and get them. It only took a moment for the vamps to spot Daniel and Brian on their new perch, but three precious minutes passed before they found their way through the maze of crates and located the access ladder at one end of the gantry. During that time, Brian turned the entire warehouse against them. Catwalks pulled free from their supports and fell on them, pinning them under hundreds of kilos of steel. Chains came alive in the vampire's hands, wrapping around their legs and binding their arms behind them. Levers and gears broke free from machinery, turning into makeshift spears and whirling saw blades. By the time the first vampires reached the bottom rungs of the ladder, Brian had cut their numbers down by half. Daniel fought down the churning fear inside him and focused on the moment. Two of the vampires were scrambling up the ladder, lizard-quick, one following close behind the other. Daniel thought about throwing something at them, but the angles were bad, and the only things he had at his disposal were his knives, his one surviving tonfa, and one of the rough stakes Fiona had made from the other. He could reach down and try to stab at them, but he knew the speed of the vamp's reflexes, and he didn't want them pulling him off the gantry while he was off balance. Instead, he hung back just out of arm's reach, his body centered atop the narrow track. He struck as soon as the first vampire's head appeared, snapping a front kick between the creature's eyes. The vamp saw it coming and dodged to the left, straight into the low round kick Daniel used as a follow-up. 
The force of the blow caught the vampire off balance and sent him tumbling off the ladder. He struck his companion on the way down, but the second vamp held on and kept climbing, moving more slowly and keeping a firm grip on the rungs. Daniel struck at one of its hands with his tonfa as it came within reach, shattering the small bones with a savage overhand blow. The vamp howled and its grip slackened. The bones would knit back together within minutes, but until then its supernatural strength had nothing to push against but a mass of splintered fragments. The vamp shifted its weight over to its other hand to compensate, and Daniel stomped down on it with his heel. The crack of the bones was joined by another shriek, and the vampire tumbled down to join his comrade on the floor ten meters below. Daniel! Brian's voice made Daniel's head whip around. He saw the trouble immediately. Three of the vamps had climbed up one of the ladders at the far end of the room and were swinging across the rafters like chimpanzees, heading for the opposite end of the gantry. Daniel cursed under his breath and moved to meet them as quickly as he dared, stepping lightly over Brian on the way. Silently, Daniel thanked Eli for the years of practice Victor had given him in fighting on the balance beams at the Somnock. He'd thought that particular training regimen was ridiculous at first, but over time he'd seen the value of it. Once you got used to fighting on a piece of wood a decimeter wide, you'd be able to keep your balance under just about any circumstances imaginable. The vampires, being accustomed to the rough-and-tumble fighting of the street, were unprepared for the finesse the battle required. They were also used to being nearly indestructible, and that made them reckless. Daniel baited them with simple feints, and took them down with sweeping attacks that emphasized leverage over brute force. When the vamps tried to use their strength advantage, he turned it against them. When they relied on speed, he danced out of the way until they overbalanced themselves, then knocked them off before they could recover. When more vamps came up the ladder on the near side, he darted back in that direction and met them in turn. It was like a maddened game of Lord of the Castle, and each time the vamps tumbled down, Brian used his powers to put one or two more out of contention. Daniel was taken by surprise when he tripped up the latest vamp, turned, and found the far end of the track empty. Brian buried Daniel's latest victim under a mass of twisted catwalk, then looked up at Daniel, the sweat pouring down his face. That's the last of them, he gasped. Couldn't dust all of them, but they're out of it for now. Which leaves just one. Daniel followed the unspoken thought, looking down at Fiona and Miriam as they continued their deadly dance across the tops of the crates. It was like watching a one-on-one skyball game played out at ten times normal speed, with the egoist's superhuman muscles standing in for the jump pads. Both of them were so fast that Daniel couldn't even see which blows were being blocked and which ones hit home. Every thirty seconds or so, Miriam would withdraw out of melee range and try to stare down Fiona, but each time she would be distracted by an entangling chain, a gear traveling at bullet speed, or a scrap of whirling metal. Then Fiona was on her again and the hand-to-hand fight continued. Gotta keep her off balance, Brian explained. He still sounded winded. If she gets a chance to use her telepathy, we can't block her. 
Daniel nodded, suppressing a chill that ran down his spine. Should I go down and try to help? Don't be a fool, Brian said, without heat. She'd tear you open in three seconds. He shook his head, looking lost. I don't know what to do. She can't retreat, Miriam can't get tired, and I can't call for help through the damn shielding. And if you leave to get help, Miriam will just mind-blast her, Daniel said. He took a deep breath. Okay, so it's gotta be me. Be careful, Brian hissed. She wants us alive as revenge for Viscount, but I doubt her master said anything about you. Daniel nodded. That could be good or bad for him, depending on how deep Miriam's programming had sunk in. He grabbed the big loading hook from its resting place at Brian's side and prepared to swing for the exit, hoping that he could roll with the landing and avoid breaking anything. As his muscles tensed to leap, though, he heard Fiona cry out. Looking down, he saw that the two women had stopped on a tall stack of crates almost directly below him. Miriam had finally caught Fiona in a grapple, and just as quickly, she sank her fangs into Fee's neck. Fiona! Brian shouted, his voice cracking with desperate fear. Fiona went limp in Miriam's arms, the vampire's narcotic venom sending a rush of pleasure through her body. Miriam, too, had fallen into a haze of ecstasy, making little growls of delight as she lapped and slurped at the open wounds. Now, at last, Daniel felt that crystalline moment of clarity that the psyops had talked about. Miriam's back was turned to him, her head barely three meters below the gantry. She stood near the edge of the crate, her feet only centimeters from open air. Time slowed, as instincts honed by years of practice judged the distance, weighed the force of his jump, visualized how his hands would move. He took the hook and cable in his hands and formed them into a loop about three decimeters wide. Then, champion skyball player Daniel Sharabi leapt down on his target, screaming a battle cry as he fell. Miriam looked up from Fiona's neck in sudden alarm, just as Daniel drove the loop of cable around her head like a slam dunk in reverse. While Miriam was on solid footing at the crate's edge, Daniel fell past her through open space. The cable went tight around Miriam's neck as Daniel fell, and the elder was pulled off of Fiona and into midair. The cable swung back away from the crates like a giant pendulum, the tension in the line translating Daniel's fall into horizontal motion. Daniel held on for dear life as the pendulum swung through the low point in its arc, then up, up, until it came to a stop on the other side. He hovered there for an instant, Miriam dangling helplessly above him, and then the pendulum swung back the way they had come, where Fiona was waiting with stake in hand. Egoist-enhanced strength lashed out, burying the broken tonfa to the hilt in Miriam's heart. The vampire instantly went limp, like a marionette whose strings had been cut. An instant later, Daniel slammed feet first into the side of the crate. A loud crack and a flash of white-hot pain told Daniel that his heels had broken on impact. He held on, somehow, as Brian let out the cable and lowered him gently to the ground. 
Daniel held up his legs and let Brian set him down on his ass, sparing his feet any further agonies. With as much focus as he could muster, Daniel tapped his healing power and channeled it into his legs. Cool, soothing energy replaced the blinding pain, and he painstakingly knitted his bones back together. By the time he finished, Brian was at his side and ready to help him up. Thanks, Daniel said, brushing himself off. Unexpectedly, Brian wrapped his arms around Daniel in a tight hug. Thank you, he said hoarsely. An awkward moment later, Brian released him, and Daniel looked around. What happened to the other vamps? Fogged out, Brian said, sounding relieved. Guess they didn't think it was worth it after their leader went down. Daniel nodded. A vampire could turn into fog more or less at will, but reincorporating afterward was a slow process that left the creature drained and vulnerable to attack. Because of that, vamps usually saved it for emergencies. Still, we'd better make ourselves scarce, just in case Ardvalos had a backup plan. A stab of raw anguish rippled through the air, so strong that even Daniel's pathetic sigh senses could detect it. He turned and saw Fiona kneeling on the ground, with Miriam Bakhtavar's body cradled in her arms. The fallen elder looked peaceful in death, though the trickle of blood running down the side of her mouth was a sober reminder of what she had become, and would become again if the stake were removed from her heart. Fiona buried her face in the woman's long, dark hair, her whole body shaking with silent sobs. She didn't seem to notice the blood still oozing from the wounds in her neck. Daniel knelt beside her and placed a healing hand over the bite marks. They were small, and the incisions were clean. They knitted closed with only a moment's effort. Fiona looked up at him then. The fire was gone from her eyes, leaving an expression of naked heartache. The honesty and vulnerability in that expression were like nothing Daniel had ever seen from her. Daniel, please, she said, her voice coming out hoarse and choked with emotion. My strength is almost gone. Help me carry her. I can't leave her here. Not like this. Daniel nodded gravely. Of course, V. Of course. He helped Fiona to her feet, and together they carried her fallen hero out of the warehouse, into the tunnels, and toward the safety of home. And that's the end of Chapter 54. Come back next time, when Sasha tries desperately to get Abby to safety. Hey there, folks. I'm recording this on the Sunday before Christmas, and there's a lot to do, so I'm going to skip the writing update this week. Whenever you're listening to this, I hope that your holiday season was full of joy, peace, and happy memories with the people you love. Come back next time, and I'll let you know how things have been going. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show... Send your feedback in text or audio to metamorcityfeedback at gmail.com. 
To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2021 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.